Well, welcome to welcome to Struggle Session. This is a, another episode of it. I'm, I'm I'm Jack Allison. I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. I'm Leslie Lee the Third. And joining us, we have a very special guest today, the writer of the hit film with Charlie Day and Ice Cube, Fist Fight, mm-hmm. uh, a very special, frequent, regular guest on the Doughboy Show, and just an all-around swell guy, Evan Susser. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Um, so what's going on, guys? We did it. Intro. We did it. We did the intro. Um you know, if, if you liked the way we identified our voices, you know, make sure to let us know uh, uh, on Twitter. And uh, well, there's there, there's one exciting piece of, you know, news that maybe just is right at that cross section between politics and pop culture. That is really the sweet spot of struggle session here mm-hmm. uh, is the news that that Bill Clinton is in town uh, this week in Los Angeles uh, to try to sell. Uh, uh, to, he's out there pitching the president is missing. The, uh, this is new novel with James Patterson. The novel he wrote with James Patterson. Uh, um, and uh, boy, do I ever have some exciting news for everybody, for, for everyone here tonight. Uh, uh, are you guys excited? I'm so excited. Tell me how. I um, I went to a meeting at Heim Saban's company, um, and when I was in the waiting room, I actually found the actual treatment that uh, Bill Clinton and James Patterson are using. It was just laying out there? It was just laying oh, out there. No but, way. No way. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's, uh, and I got to tell you guys, um, it's it's actually good. I think it's really good, actually. I think it's like, it's like kind of, uh, um, I mean, I don't, I'm not under any sort of NDA or anything like that. And I know people, you know, don't like spoilers. Um, I don't think it's going to work out for me at the the Saban company. So, mm-hmm. I mean... I mean, do you, do you guys think people would be interested to like hear what you know what's going on in the president is missing? I want to know yeah, why the well, president is missing. So this is from the mind of Bill Clinton. Yeah, and no, James this Patterson. It says right here on the outline, written by President Bill Clinton and James Patterson. And so, yeah, this is, you know, this is uh, the, what the president wrote. Not oh. I didn't write this. So you know, uh, if you like it, you know, it's him. If you don't like it, it was him. Yeah. You know. Uh, um, so you guys, do you want to hear it? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, um, Very cool. Uh, um, The President is Missing uh, by Bill Clinton and uh, James Patterson. Okay. President Burt Clintock is beloved by Americans on both sides of the aisle for his bipartisan leadership, creating unprecedented economic growth in the tech sector while also keeping violent, dangerous super predators off of our streets. So the world is absolutely stunned when this world-class, sexually magnetic leader with record-high approval ratings suddenly disappears. The few politicians who oppose the president are forced to admit that he was right about everything. Oh, wow. Activists throw down their anti-war signs and replace them with signs demanding the return of their beloved Wait, the president. Wait, the Well, yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. It doesn't, yeah, I, it you know, you just assume, assume, assume that it is. It doesn't say, but, you I know. Guess we've been at war for does, 15 years. So. It does seem like it's... What I like about that is that that implies, like, a rich sort of, like, backstory. Like, there's a tapestry to this world already, and that, you know, uh, speaks to, uh, uh, you know, what Clinton and Patterson are doing here. Uh, it's world building. Yeah. yeah, it's world building. It's cool. Uh, so, yeah, they throw down their anti-war signs and replace them with signs demanding the return of their beloved president. Even the brutal dictator, or even the brutal Iraqi dictator, Abdul Hussein, shows civility and sheds a tear for his adversary. Even if they disagree on the issues, this has gone too far. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like that, too. Like you know, that. some people on Twitter could have uh, heeded that warning about Senator John McCain. 
I thought that was a little uncouth. Anyway, uh, uh, um, but even as the world reels, someone needs to step up to solve the biggest mystery in the world. The Secret Service is out, thanks to a widespread syphilis infection. So the Joint Chiefs of Staff turned to the only man with the mind and qualifications for the job, Dick Sampson. Samson earned his stripes in the Air Force during the firebombing of Cambodia. After serving with distinction, he moved to the private sector, where he had a long and storied career as a private dick working to help defense contractors take down violent radical activists. Now he's retired, working away at his political thriller novels from a modest little townhouse in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Or at least he was, until he gets a call from the Pentagon. Samson is thrown headfirst into a maelstrom of political intrigue, but he won't have to solve the case on his own. He's joined by his assistant, a smart, busty young co-ed named Buffy. She's as so whip smart as... Wait, wait, hold up. They described her as busty in the synopsis? Yeah, it says right here. Oh, yeah. He's joined by his assistant. Well, you want to paint... You want actually three pages described. Yeah, you know yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to... I mean, I think that that would be going too far, uh, and it's too identifiable, but... Uh, um, it's good, and they're they're really nice boobs. Uh, uh, um, she's as whip smart as she is beautiful, and she's willing to use any means, including sexual, to get the information that they need. Samson and Buffy soon find out that even though the president is universally beloved with super high approval ratings, he's got a list of enemies nearly as long as his extremely long list of accomplishments. There's the first lady, a no-nonsense ball buster with an inferiority complex and bodies hidden all across the Capitol. <laughs> Could she have maneuvered away for the presidential line of succession to land at her feet? Or could the culprit be George W. Shrub, the Texas oil man, still furious the president for unseating his father in the election? Or could it be the laundry list of women who attempted to extort the president with false sexual allegations, furious that they never got their giant payouts because the president has always been faithful, faithful to his wife? The story even takes a supernatural turn when our heroes conduct a seance to, con to contact a mentally handicapped person from the president's past who tells them that he deserves to die. This all builds towards a heartwarming twist ending where we find out the culprit is a former felon intent on thanking the president for all the things he learned while working as an unpaid laborer at the Arkansas governor's office. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I hate to spoil an ending like that, yeah. but uh, uh, that is, that's like, to me, M. Night Shyamalan level, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, I'm very, very excited that's, for this movie. That's quite, quite a twist. Yeah. I, I like what James Patterson does. I think that of all the supermarket novelists, you've got Dean Koontz. Mm-hmm. You've got James Patterson. Yep. You've got Dean Koontz again. Yeah, the, and you got the guys. You've got the you like Janet Ivanovich. You've got the uh, the stable of twenty five men that they have writing their books for them. What and, and what I like the thing like neither Bill Clinton or James Patterson wrote this book. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, they write these books like, the same way they do like anime or manga. Yeah, I like also too that uh, you know obviously President Burt McClintock is maybe an analog. Yeah, but I also think that. Um, Dick, uh, what's his name? Dick Sampson. Dick Sampson is also kind of, I think that Bill Clinton probably is putting some of himself in there. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait to see the work in full before mm -hmm. I. It reminds me of, uh, like, the fact that the fact that Bill Clinton's making this mystery novel, it actually reminds me, Bill O'Reilly made, like, yeah. uh, he wrote a mystery novel, like, in the 90s called Those Who Trespass. And it's, it's a dual narrative about. Uh, a newsman who starts murdering corrupt newsmen for refusing to tell the truth and for firing him when he gets close to, to speaking how it actually is to the people. And then on the other side, a tough-nosed Irish cop who has to take the serial killer Irish newsman out. 
but it's just like Bill O'Reilly at war with his own psyche in this book. I, I do think it's funny, the title, The President is Missing. Yeah. Like we've got Bill Clinton. Like, oh, like, who else, like, knows about being president? Like, this is going to be great, like, this pitch. Okay, president goes missing. He's not in the whole book. It's like, what? Like, you know, like, shouldn't it, like, wouldn't it be more fun, like, you know, the president's secret quest? Or, like, what the president's, it's like, you're the only one that has experience knowing what it's like, like to be the president. It would be better to, it's like, what, like, what the president does during the weekend. Yeah. It would be a more interesting book by Bill Clinton. I think if the president went missing, people would actually calm down. Like, okay, <laughs> right now it would be nice if he just went away for a couple of days. Um, yeah, that's, I kind of get on everybody who, like, like, counts all the days that Trump's been, like, golfing and stuff because mm -hmm. I'm like, there is no better like I, I never, want him to be golfing. <laughs> I never feel safer than when this man yeah. is on the golf course. Uh, keep him on, like get him golfing, <laughs> like make him a pro. As yeah, far as I'm concerned, mm -hmm. make him like a huge theater that blasts nothing but Fox News. <laughs> Put him in there, give him popcorn, <laughs> make him comfy. Yeah, uh, the idea of Bill Clinton actually pitching this movie is also just crazy. To imagine, you know, just like the whole, like, just walking so, inside. Just walking the into the meeting, like, can we get anything? Maybe a bottle of water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what does he do? And then, you know, just like, I think for me, like, all of, like, the things that I do, like, when I, like, have to, like, pitch a meeting, a movie or something, and it kind of is, you know, it, it's like, you, it's kind of embarrassing a little bit because right. you're, you know, really excited about something and, it's all in the other person's hands, really, if it's going to move forward. Yeah. And you're just, like, smiling through everything, and people, you know, react, and they're like, ooh, like, you know, like, uh, and they give you things, and you just try and be positive. It's and like, pitching is, oh, yeah. like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> it, like, it, just, it is. just imagine going from being the most powerful human being on the uh -huh. planet to having to pitch this shitty, obviously mm -hmm. shitty, um, mystery novel that you did not write. Like, right, what, right. Uh, what is in it for him? Like, he's already he already made all his money. Like, what? Like, to be, to be honest with you, like, pitching is such a humiliating process, even to begin with. I can't imagine how much more humiliating it is when you're forced to do it because you can't extort foreign governments anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Does, yeah, do you think that pitch, like, he had to pitch to Patterson first, or did Patterson go to him? Well, yeah, well, that would be the first question if this was right. a Hollywood pitch meeting. It's like, how did you two guys get together? <laughs> how did this? James, <laughs> Bill, uh -huh. and your friends. Like, oh, well, we know each other for a couple of days yeah. there, right? Well, uh, we were taking uh, UCB classes <laughs> together. Um, so, Evan, you, you know, you're in embroiled in in the whole Hollywood studio system, right? Sure. Now. You're you're a, a a Hollywood filmmaker. You had you know, I guess this, so. is a, this is a crazy thing that you had. You know, the, having a you know you, fistfight come out in theaters is is no small feat. Like a movie actually that you wrote being released, that seems to me like like I, that's the most impossible thing I could ever imagine in my life. Yeah, it's pretty crazy and surreal to like see like a big. Hollywood like machine and like when all the advertising uh, and stuff starts happening, you know, I think that for me and, you know, Jonathan, you can probably speak to this too when you were in like Project X, like when you just like stumble upon, you know, an advertising, advertisement or something that you weren't like seeking out. It's, it's surreal. Yeah, it's very surreal. It's... And it just feels like it becomes more than 
like it's not even a movie. It's just like this thing that's in culture, like that you can't even avoid. Yeah, when the marketing begins and it's entirely out of your hands, and you like you see your name on a poster, or you see like a picture of yourself on a thing, and it's it gives it this uh, this authority. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably exactly what the studios want is like, not just legitimacy, but like authority. Like when you have like this, this giant thing beaming down over a city, commanding you to see something and like you're in it, it's, it's a strange feeling. And it's like, it's exciting, but it's also like, uh, it's a little spooky. The other thing too, that we should probably like for people listening to this outside of LA, I don't know if people realize this, movies and television are advertised more in Los Angeles than anywhere else in the world, whenever like I have like people come and visit, they're like blown away by how much advertising, yeah. like outdoor like billboard advertising. It, and it was explained to me it's not it's for the people making this. That's my, my that's my I, I I theorize, and maybe it's just because these these companies like own more of the billboards around their offices. But I truly believe that if you that they map like certain executives' drives to work. I've heard for a like, fact that put, this happens, like, especially like directors. Of a big movie, they will look up like where the director lives and put a big billboard right by where they live. And I have had a few times, like friends of mine who are directors or actors, and they'll post like, "Holy moly! Like, look at this billboard right down the street." It's for them. <laughs> yeah. it's so funny. It's like it's to make them so, comfortable. Yeah, it, so much of Hollywood is just like babying people. It's like tricking people into like feeling better about themselves. Well, it's like because they, you know, you never want to get like an email from the person like, "Are we even advertising this movie?" Right. I haven't seen anything. It's like, ooh, there's a big billboard by my house. They yeah. must be everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's a good way to also find out where famous people live. That's true. Is if you're like, oh, there's a billboard for this Adam Sandler movie. I bet he's a couple blocks away. <laughs> like, because nobody... I actually used to think that all the advertising in L.A. was par for the course. Like, I thought that was normal. It wasn't until I started leaving L.A. more often that I realized that, like, oh, the amount of the amount of advertising we get for, for certain TV shows and films, like... It really is obscene. Like there are three billboards for like a true TV show that maybe eighty thousand people will watch. I mean, like seeing these fucking like I I don't think I can like go a block without seeing Adam's big fucking hair, big tall hair here in Los Angeles. Well, he must. I mean, Adam Adam Conover definitely lives in the area, right? Yeah, I guess Adam Conover. I mean, I guess it would make a lot of he sense that Adam Conover lives town. in like Eagle Rock or, or uh, next Echo Park next to me. Mm -hmm. Here's my question is, what's with the fucking high hair on all these guys? It, is, like, a it, it like, is a trend. It is a trend. Jordan Klepper's got the high hair. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Adam Conover's got the high is hair. Is it just to, like, show that they're not, like, skinheads? Like, we got a lot of hair. Well, it kind of is a version of, like, the Richard Spencer... Yeah. Like, you know, it kind of, it's well, just he, higher. Like, there's, there's like two, the same kind of look. It's like the short on the sides. Uh -huh. like, yeah, but. So I, I got one of those cuts once, like, a year ago, and then and then I didn't realize it. I walk out, and the barber's like, oh, yeah, you got a great Hitler youth. I'm like, that's the name of the fucking cut? <laughs> Change it now. <laughs> if I'm getting the Hitler youth, like, warn me before I'm walking out. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like, I feel like, like, a. Like the barber who gave it to you said that? That's what the barber said, yeah. And and uh, I, I saw it start to come back, like, honestly, like, and maybe I'm wrong, but, like, Michael Pitt had one of those in Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. And then I started to see, like, it pop up more and more in magazines. Mm -hmm. 
And like the cut was in vogue until the rise of the alt right. Like there was this brief two year you period. Had one, yeah, right? I've had one, and now I kind of do a much more uh, subdued version. Yeah, it's real fucking hard out there. I mean, like there was a minute there. Remember when we weren't allowed to wear like New Balances? I, well, I, I that was a good, I'm wearing them right now. Up. It's a real problem because I have you know, a problem with my feet, and I went to you know a foot doctor, and he you know gave me insoles and told me and the best shoes that you should wear are New Balance. And finally, like I've had problems like walking my whole life. Finally, for like two months, um, like walking well, and my feet are not hurting. And then it comes out that you can't wear New Balance. Yeah, wear New Balance is. I mean, there's so much stuff to boycott these days. Yeah. I was talking to my parents, and they're like, "We gotta get a lot of Kellogg's cereal. They uh, they drop Breitbart. We gotta get a bunch of Corn Flakes." (laughs) (laughs) It's so dumb. Like it is is the the idea that we can we have individual capabilities to like change like the course of whatever I think with that, our I, spending power as one as, as individuals it's such nonsense to me i think that it's like it's another one of these examples of that we like have fully accepted that corporations are people like we like we've accepted that like pepsi has an opinion on pride week we've like <laughs> accepted that like new balance are nazis like you know uh, chick-fil-a is homophobes and, and like and like the chick-fil-a one like that was like justifiable like they were actively homophobic but like i think it's like shifted back far enough now to where like we just have avatarized these things that i don't I think it, it doesn't get better when you have people have like these cutesy like Twitter conversations with like fucking Coca Cola or Taco Bell or whatever. <laughs> like, social media people make these companies actually seem like like they're alive in a weird. Yeah, way. well, the Wendy's the story. Wendy's is one that people like. Yeah, they, they, they like, like they like they like says like funny things, but all of these things, like it's just like they're like. They're they're gonna get in trouble, you know, or like someday they're gonna. I, I don't enrage, even. Like, I don't it's know. It's just weird to me. Like I don't think it's gonna be a problem for these companies. It's just weird to me that we're like we have accepted that we're like of course like Wendy's is funny online. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Like, like the, the voice of Wendy's. Like that's uh, uh, man. I just love to log on and like crack up at what Wendy's is saying today. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What happens when, like, I don't know, Smart Water starts telling people to kill cops? Like, it's going to get... I mean, not be like this. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I've always wondered, like, celebrities, like, if some movie star, like, you, you see a meltdown now and then or whatever, like, mm-hmm. that's par for the course. But, like, if you actually saw, like, someone, like, I don't know, who had, like, over 100 million people, like someone like Justin Bieber, and it was like, all right, everybody, time to march on Washington. Like, would you have armies of teen that's, girls? That's a good question. I don't know. To the old I bet, I bet the the Jake Paul and his brother could get that get him a whole bunch of kids to to overthrow the government. You know, Disney Disney cut their ties with him. Makes him all the more powerful. He's gonna be the president someday, boys. I want to jump back. Like you said something about like if these brands or these celebrities all like came out against something, would you see rallies? I, I saw a good uh, Kurt Vonnegut quote about this. Um, during the Vietnam War, which lasted longer than any war we've ever been in and which we lost, every respectable artist in this country was against the war. It was like a laser beam. We were all aimed in the same direction. The power of this weapon turns out to be that of a custard pie dropped from a stamp leather six feet high. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's true. I mean, I think you saw with like the election, like how many celebrities were doing videos and all the stuff in support of Hillary 
and against Trump, and it didn't, it didn't work in certain ways. It's, maybe it's like I think that they learned a lot of the wrong lessons from when celebrities did that in favor of Obama, because like, yes, celebrities came out in favor of Obama and that ultimately he won. He was also so much more popular. I was gonna say, it's like, I feel like it like, that has more to do with the fact that he's like a uniquely charismatic once in a lifetime (laughs) politician and had less to do with the celebrities and more to do with the fact that he was, I mean, like the McCain ad was right. Like he was the biggest celebrity in the world and that's not necessarily like a bad thing. (laughs) I don't know. I think celebrity culture and political culture are so in like they're they're so entrenched now. Like the White House Correspondents Dinner without fail every year makes me want to hurl. Like I, I, I do think it's bad that like the more famous someone is, the more political power they can acquire. I also think that Trump's gonna open up the floodgates. Like we're gonna be dealing with like dipshit famous eccentrics, you know, trying to seize power for the rest of our goddamn lives. That's like, true. These people are gonna. These people are not going away. Like, I think like there's this delusion that somehow, like, sane people will prevail. Sanity and reason and a good centered sense of normalcy will come back, and people will just get sick of the wackiness. But the wackiness, I feel like, is just gonna become status quo, right? Like it already is. I'm already. You well, know, I mean, Kid Rock is gonna win. He's right. going to win. And if he does finally run, and I think he's going to, I think he's going to win. I don't he's, think the Democrats can run against Kid Rock, to be honest with you. Like, I think it's out of their playbook. He started the 501C, and he, like, literally, like, like talks about, like, bitches in his, like, announcement. I can't, like, I can't. Kid Rock statement. Like, it's, it's like, actually really good strategy to start the 501C4 and just register people at his concerts. Like... That's like essentially what Trump was doing across the country is he was holding Kid Rock concerts and getting people drunk and getting them signed up to vote. Smoke from the Lucy drip, hold it like a crucifix. Blow from the nose, I'm a dragon to a nose. Got an average of being excellent, the media just don't. Like the ratio of heroin, the laxative is sold. Authorities are spoken, a man that pure devotion. Get magnetized to the ground while the Falcons are murder closing. I chose to go guano, y'all know kind of bad shit. The bright lights are fuckery, stuck in me automatic. A teabag of piranha tank, heart barely beating a wild one. I swim like the wreck, they have to be seating. We're holding a toaster up. And it's plugged with a fork in it Cause death by electrocution's like life in New York In it, should've been a dentist Mom said it pains the way that my craft expresses Born in a little shop of arms that I can't even afford to rent it Where's the exit? Wanna talk shop, I can top it up with exacto touch What's the rush? Autograph skin flash Tag them all, I don't bragging up, you they back toe suck hey. Why you new to the help without the mill you? Kinda like, fuck is you I'm a little black spot on the sound of lies And I'm not too high to say I'm the truth I line the booth to cast blood like a pavement Nathan say but I'll make some playpen True runner bitch, make the name stick Not for sale, but I'm taking payment <laughs> So, Evan, I wanted to say I watched me and my wife watched Fist Fight and we thought it was great. Like, oh, really, thanks, man. Yeah, like, I'm not a big comedy movie fan. Like, I, I much prefer TV shows, but I gave this one a chance because Charlie Day is in it. And I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But, like, it was one of the few. It was one of the few movie comedy movies I recall seeing that like didn't have an issue where they were like trying to you know save the daycare or save the volleyball <laughs> gym. But actually, yeah. it did kind of have that story in there. But yeah, we, like- we 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 tried to do that in you know kind of a sneaky way. 
um, yeah. and not have it be uh, not have it be explicit, like you know, we're actually using this fight to raise money. I mean, I think that you know, always uh, when you do a big Hollywood movie like this, you have to make compromises along the way. But you know, I think we were trying to go for something where you know the fight you know becomes like a moment, like a tipping point, and people kind of recognize change. But yes, without it being corny and cheesy. Um, and mostly we could have just like the fun of the movie. Uh, I mean like the, you know, false sentimentality in comedies is kind yeah. of like a rough. Comedies have a real third act problem. Uh, yeah, I think. It, it is a challenging thing. I had a friend who uh, is not in Hollywood at all and he came to visit me. He's like, I have a question. Like how come all comedy movies like stop being funny? Like well, that's like 30 <laughs> minutes in. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, why? Yeah, right. What are they? What are they? What is? What are the, the the compromises and challenges you get, especially when it's about wrapping everything up? Well, I think that you know uh, the big thing is you know everyone's heard that Hollywood likes a happy ending, mm. but there's different disagreements depending on your worldview as what counts as a happy ending. <laughs> uh, I mean, and uh, my writing partner, Van Robichaux, and I joke that uh, really Hollywood wants the happiest ending. And, you know, one thing that we like joke that people want is like, and they also win the lottery and they have a lot of money. Yeah. Like, you know, it's so yeah, much that of... That's a weird thing at the end of movies. There's always... That's a weird, odd thing I've seen in comedies. Yours didn't have this. But, like, the guy... It's always like the guy has the best idea ever, but then just hasn't ever executed it. It's always like the guy has, like, an idea for an app or something. And then yeah. the third act happens. And, like, in the last one minute of the movie, it shows him, like, doing a TED Talk and showing the app. Yeah. Now, like, now not only did he get the girl and, like learn about friendship, but he's fucking rich. Too. Well, and yeah. it does kind or of... He opens a restaurant and he employs all of his friends throughout the movie. <laughs> right, And yeah. they all own the business together, and as opposed to, like, the fact that he'd probably be paying them shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it does kind of reflect, you know, values. Like, a lot of comedies end with some version of, you know, the character is in a relationship, mm -hmm. and also they have a career that makes them money versus, you know, in the 70s, like movies like Animal House or Caddyshack, uh, their endings are more like anarchy, mm -hmm. and that's the happy ending. Yeah. Uh, and that is a really tough thing. Uh, bring that back. That's a tough thing <laughs> to get people uh, excited about. I mean, you know, Project X is interesting because that is really anarchy, uh, for most of the movie, and they kind of, you guys, it kind of ends not with, um, you know, it has, it, it's like a little bit of an adjustment. Right. They, well, they were, they were trying to subvert, like, the, at the end, they put the house back together, right, as the parents get mm -hmm. home thing that's in every, like, teen sex party yeah. movie. And I was like, actually, no, we're going to burn the house down this time. <laughs> what was really surprising to me, and I, especially like as like a as like an excited twenty two year old to have this movie come out five years ago, was was all of the the criticism from the critics about like the lack of respect for property, as if like that was not the whole fucking point of the movie. Like they were really upset about that, and to me, like that was part of what was fun is that it was like explicitly regressive when it came to giving like. It's a regressive film, but that's not a bad thing. That's like portrayal and endorsement. 
I feel like people are having a hard time distinguishing the two, especially as like TV eats up more and more of our world. Yeah, I mean that was with Fist Fight too. We had the criticism like this school like seems like an unpleasant school to be at, and it's like, well, yeah, like that's kind of part of the point. <laughs> like, yeah, this um, uh, every school I ever went to was unpleasant to be at. Um, and so yeah, that kind of is an interesting. Uh, what do you think? Why, why do you think? I mean, all of us, I guess. Like, why? What? Why? Why has there been this shift from sort of like the anarchist comedy to the you know, I guess, capitalist comedy? You know what I mean? Like it, 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 like even if you look at all of them, like if you look at like Animal House or like what about Bob? Like there was a, a, a Caddyshack. Also, like there used to be this thing of like an uptight guy shows up, like a freewheeling guy gets in his head until the uptight guy goes insane or dies. Like, right. That's the old way in comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there is, like, even, like, you know, a movie like Ted, which is, like, an outrageous, you know, raunchy comedy. At the end, it's like, ah, you got to put away Ted and, like, you got to be, like, be an adult. you yeah. got to be an adult. Like, there's a lot of movies. Like, I, don't, I don't like that. Like, I, like that was another issue. Like, it's very with, like, served up. They're, like, these movies always have this kind of, this moral of, like, you gotta grow up and stop smoking weed, and I'm like, that's not the fuck I came to see a comedy for. <laughs> like, I like got high in the parking lot before I came in here, and by the end of this movie, you're being like wagging your fingering at, finger at me and being like, you better stop. It's a very Apatowian thing. Like, he's a very socially conservative guy, and I do think that reflects. Yeah, and I think in that, that style of comedy. I think also too, like though, it's one of these things where like when one person does it, that's like maybe an artistic choice, and so to just like give credit to, like, Apatow and, like, Seth Rogen, like, they, like, you know, they were doing that, like, sure. you know, kind of, like, that was, like, their, like, story to tell, right. but then it just becomes, like, okay, that's what all happens in all well, movies also, now, you, you regardless of the story. You mentioned Ted, and it's, like, Ted becomes about, like, whether this man is going to be friends with the fucking cartoon bear, <laughs> and, like, I'm actually supposed, like, we're supposed to actually be sad about, like, the bear, like, the farting bear not being around anymore, like, it's just, like, I don't know, and, like, make, I feel like comedy movies just, you should just end it at 80 minutes. No comedy should ever be longer than 100 minutes. How long was this way? Uh, 91 minutes. Hello. Perfect. <laughs> Because the thing is, is that like as it gets harder and harder to make comedy movies anyway, like we don't need these like two and a half hour long improvapaloozas filled with like pathos. Like let Apatow do that, and everybody else can be funny. <laughs> it's it's uh well, it just seems to me like like and correct me if I'm wrong, but like I don't feel like there's that much like hunger. Like it's it's almost a feat to have gotten this fight made, which is just kind of a body like close to anarchic comedy, but you still have those mm -hmm. elements in it. But like, it feels like, you know, that's even like much higher concept than most of the, the comedies that are coming out now. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, it's just, uh, it's a to comedies in the tough spot right now is a little bit in transition too. Um, you know, there've been a lot of articles about the death of the R-rated comedy, which right. thankfully Fifth Fight only gets mentioned in about a third of them. <laughs> <laughs> But, but uh, yeah, I mean, it just is a tough kind of thing, especially as movies just in general. You know, look, comedy is, like, the exception of, like, The Hangover. They often don't have sequels. They're not a part of, like, an extended universe. You know, they're not uh, – they, especially R-rated comedies, 
they can't appeal to literally everyone. Yeah. And actually, all comedies in general can't appeal to everyone. They, right. you know, humor is more individualized. And whereas movies in general, like, you know, everyone is supposed to go see Star Wars. Right. Like, they, like, you know, like, they've, like, taken well, steps. Legitimately, everyone on the planet. Yeah. Like, they're... There are people who have never seen a movie before that they're targeting with Star mm -hmm. Wars. Uh, I remember uh, I had Star Wars oranges in December. I went to the grocery store, and the oranges were Star Wars. I mean, there were the oranges; they were still oranges, but they just said Star Wars on them. Mm -hmm. Like it was so unavoidable. It's always unavoidable when a Star Wars movie comes out. Like, I wonder if like. You know, my friend was telling me about how he went to like Romania on some trip once and he, he passed by this village that was like completely decrepit, but like the one thing that stood out was like a giant billboard of Charlie Sheen. <laughs> and then some impoverished, nearly empty, like husk of a shtetl. Like, like the, I, I was thinking about how, uh, um, it, like, you know, every time a Star Wars movie comes out, they close down Hollywood Boulevard and mm -hmm. have like a red carpet or bring out an X-Wing or something like that. And now that they're going to come out every December, that's like Santa's Village. Like, we can expect an X-Wing to be on Hollywood Boulevard the same as we can expect jolly old Santa to be at the Grove. <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard is, it is, there are, there are two Hollywood Boulevards. There's the closed Hollywood Boulevard, which is just filled with security guards and people in $3,000 dresses walking to premieres. And then there's uh, every other day in Hollywood Boulevard, which is there's Dave and Busters and homeless people. I mean, everywhere. Hollywood Boulevard is like as, as stark an indicator yeah. uh, of like the disparity in Hollywood as you can find. Right. Yeah, yeah it really is crazy. And Jack, you, I, I know you used to be on Hollywood Boulevard every day when you yeah. were working at Kimmel, which I think would drive me insane. It's a fucked up place. Like it is like, it's like scary to begin with, uh, uh, and then yeah, it's like really depressing. It's a very depressing place to be, and it's even heightened more by the fact that like normally you, if I go downtown, it's obviously very depressing to see like all the suffering and homelessness right. going on down there. Route. But on Hollywood Boulevard, they also dress up like the fucking superhero right. character. Yeah, I like, don't think this is. I think now there is a documentary, so people know this more. But I did not know this when I moved to Hollywood. I kind of thought. You know, coming from it from an outside perspective, you kind of know about the superheroes dressed up on Hollywood Boulevard, and I thought that was kind of like going to Disneyland or something. Yeah. Uh, but when you get there, it's not. No, it's um, it's mostly either people who are homeless or like very, very like severely you know, addicted to drugs or like, not doing well. Yeah. And uh, very, you know, and some people have good costumes, but a lot of people the costumes aren't even that good. And it's like a very uncomfortable. It's a really weird place, and like you know, and, and you know, when we were to Kimmel, there was a time when like something happened with Superman, like he got in like in a fight or something like that. So we had to like we like kind of pass the hat around the office to like, and we gave like this, we gave Superman like two hundred dollars because he was like had got himself in trouble or something like that. But the craziest thing about it is that it's like not only is it you know there's all these homeless people and drug addicts like dressed up as superheroes and trying to like panhandle for money from tourists. But they also kick them all off the street like once a week so that actual real celebrities can walk literally on like the same ground yeah. that these people are walking on and yeah. like, you know, go into the man Chinese and see uh, whatever, Zoolander 2 or something like that. Like, <laughs> Sorry, Superman. Henry Cavill's coming. Get right. like, the fuck out of here. Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you fucking hit the road? And also like, you know, this is also where like the Oscars are held. So it's like there are people, you know, these are people like 
scrounging to get like a dollar bill for taking a picture of them dressed as Spider-Man or whatever. Meanwhile, like thousands of people go into this building to get awards for being actors and then get like thousands of dollars worth of gift bags. Yeah. Like it's like, it's getting sweets. Mm-hmm. We're like, talking like five figures. Like, 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 actors, like Superman might starve to death outside the gifting suites. Like he might be yeah. slumped along that wall. Like the amount of money they get just for going to the Oscars, just for being invited and going is enough for like one person to feed their kids for a year. It's a street with like broken stores and yeah. really sad people who like deserve some kind of social safety net other than like you dress up as this famous person and you get to live. And it's interesting that it is still such a tourist destination. It's fucking bizarre. It's like people still do and like to me, I'm like, well, but in I, some ways, hey, maybe it does give you a representative idea of Los Angeles. I, I guess so, but like, for people to like come, they come from all these other states so that they can like put their hand on like the piss ground <laughs> to take a picture next to a star that says the Muppets. Like <laughs> <laughs> the Muppets. Number one, that's not the Muppets. That's a star that says the Muppets. And number two, the Muppets aren't real. Also, they don't exist. They're not actual. Well, that guy took a, a what? He took a, a jackhammer to the Donald Trump star. Right. And it's like the, the war over the Donald Trump star is so funny because like the city has to keep like rebuilding they it. They have to keep rebuilding the star because he paid for it. Yeah. Because the only that's how you get a star on the Walk of Fame. You pay for it. That's yeah. Someone someone pays for it. Yeah. It's not it's not always the yeah. person themselves. Like often, like a movie. Promoting well, right? Yeah, get a star, and uh, we're, we're a sanctuary city for Donald Trump's star, but not for uh, not for anybody people sleeping on it. Yeah. Um, Leslie, have you ever been out here? Have you ever been to LA? No, I've never been to LA. The closest I've been is San Diego, but like I've been to New York, and they have the same like superhero characters right. in Times Square, and it's like, it's like I can't think of anything like a science fiction dystopia couldn't like like Phil K. Dick couldn't imagine like homeless people having to dress up as cartoon characters. I said, warrior filled with metal gears, walking the size of a metal gear. Refer to me as right and filler after the blade and view my metal gear. Slick as a great fox with the telekinetic ability of a psychomantis with the moves of an ocelot. I'ma show the whole world what my plan is. Domination that's day by day in a metal gear Rex of a metal gear ray. Launching a rocket, predicting your moves, plug into a whole new socket. Why? Cause I'm watching the some of your arms while reading the data on your memory card. You never is hard. I'm saddled like Pliskin when rhyming my mission. Stuck from the distance, a lyrical depiction of greatness. A son of living. With guns of the Patriots on a substance where I need water or I'll trip. I don't want be a piece walking. King Cobra, Snake Eater. When I start rising, I blaze speakers. Till the day the six is a massive name. Making rappers go ghosts, bringing phantoms pain. I master the swordsman that you can't handle. Solid shit. with liquid damn, but you spit sick gamble. Lose your profits. You'll be crying wolf with no way to stop it. I'm a big boss turning all this purple. Bringing all the sorrow. Best call the colonel. Raw for sure, yo. You ain't on my level. That's why you possess your woman. Like- Evan is playing through his first ever playthrough of the Metal Gear Solid series. It's true. I know this is very exciting, probably to 10%. I don't know. What's the percentage, do you think, of people listening that would be interested in that? I, For me, like... 100% of the people (laughs) interested in Metal Gear Solid. I I guarantee it. Uh, Yeah, so I just just beat... And I also... And Jack can speak to this. I'm not good at video games. No. And I probably only beat him, like... For video games in my life before yeah. this, but I just I believe you know, played like GTA and then every NBA 2K game. Yeah, well, those can't really be. So like NBA 2K games, 
I've played GTA and like the South Park game. Sure. Stick of truth. And maybe one or two other ones that I've been in my like Mario 64. Okay. Sure. Um but I just, you know, I'd heard a lot about Metal Gear Solid from our so I just have committed to doing it. So I, I beat one, yeah. which was a whole ordeal to get it set up to figure out a way to play it, <laughs> um, which I loved and it was great. And like, now, now I'm right in uh, two, where I just defeated, I just ended the tanker mission. Uh, so this is a big, big moment. Right? Yeah, it, what, it, what you're experiencing right now is actually probably one of the things that like changed Mo my like life actually changed me as a boy like, <laughs> yeah. really, like as like i think i was in like seventh grade when metal gear solid 2 came out uh -huh. and like you know playing metal gear solid 2 and then visiting the white house are the two things maybe that most like changed my <laughs> mind about like the way i see the world uh, um so tell us what, what are how are you feeling right now uh the tanker mission art yeah so i yeah, so all of a sudden now I'm not you're not snake yeah, anymore. Which okay. was a real which is so funny because you know, on the one hand, like I feel like my initial reaction was like well first I was confused when it happened. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're wearing a mask at first and so I'm like, Oh, my voice kinda of sounds different. And then they're like, Okay, Jack, I'm like, why why do they call me Jack? Like you'll have to go by radon now. I'm like, what's happening? And then like and then you know, you interact with snake. And then it's like, oh man. And I kind of also feel like, wait a minute, like I'm like it's weird to have a disconnect because I feel like with the snake, it like very much is like the analog for like you. Like you can like I you want to you're not that cool, but like you kind of feel like but the rated guy, especially by comparison to Snake, is like less cool. Yeah. But it seems like an intentional decision. Um and also, you know, all the things that they talk about, like Oh, you've only done VR. Obviously, there's a whole like meta element to it. Um, well, and it's 15 years before VR even really started. Right. To take I mean, that is insane. Yeah. That this game was made like there's this. Uh, I don't think this will be a spoiler, but I, actually, I'm not going to say it because yeah. it, it could potentially be. Uh, but also, too, and you know, not to run past like the ending of Metal Gear One, and also Metal Gear One as you know, experience was really uh, something and. You know, thing I kind of mentioned to you, like the ending of the game. I don't know if you guys will remember. It's probably I haven't played for a while, but it ends with like you know, uh, text on black yeah. about like nuclear Nukes. proliferation. <laughs> and I remember like my first reaction was like, "Whoa, like this is like really powerful." And then, but also I was like, "Wait a minute, is this just like it's like stealing the thing from movies? Like a serious movie ends with like you know, text on screen." And I couldn't. I'm like, and I know that obviously um, Kojima, Kojima, like, he, yeah, he wants, and that's so clear from the games. But I'm like, is this ending? Like, is this him actually making a statement about nukes, or is he trying to make a statement about how video games are as much of an art form as movies? I think that, as with many things you'll find with Hideo Kojima, mm -hmm. uh, it's both. Yeah. I think it's it's both just like doing it because it's like aesthetically what he wants it to look like, but then also like kind of because it's silly, but then also because it's meaningful. Yeah, no, I, I, there's ideas he wants to express about the world. I I'll go on record saying that, uh, and I you know I, you know you're only one and a quarter game to yeah. do it at this point. But I'll go on record saying that I think that what Hideo Kojima has done with the Metal Gear Solid series are the um, the greatest artistic works of my lifetime. <laughs> That's interesting. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, 
He's a prophet. Yeah, I do. Well, think, you'll find out. Yeah. You'll find out as it continues that he is a, a prophet, like insanely, mm -hmm. like a prophet. Uh, um, and and I and I and I honestly think that we should have you back on. Maybe not for a full, you know, thing. Yeah, yeah. We, co we covered a lot of stuff here, mm -hmm. and like, you know, it might be tiresome for the listeners. But we should. I, I want to check in with you. You know, mm -hmm. as uh, as you keep going through your Metal Gear journey. Uh, um, mm -hmm. Because you know we caught you at a very good time right now. This is a very interesting point in your Metal Gear journey, but it's only going to get more interesting from here. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that what's interesting, you know, about it, and also like comparing it to film is like you know, video games, especially when these are being made, is still such a newer art form and medium. So there's more, you know, I think uh, experimentation that can be allowed without people because For people sure. don't know like. Oh, like this is not allowed. This is not allowed. This is not what people want. Yeah. Um, oh, wait till you get to the end of Marigo Salad too. You're gonna see. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, even like the cutscenes and like the philosophy behind them and how they like go on very long. Yeah. And also <laughs> have like no rhyme or reason. Like that is something that strikes me like as quote-unquote wrong yes uh but also is very interesting i think it's entertaining I, I, there are things that are done in the metal gear games and that's part of what makes them so great is that like because they break the rules and because it shouldn't work but yeah like it is the closest we've ever gotten to like auteur theory as applied to video games right and, that, and that's not just because he's trying to make it like a movie it's because he's trying to make it like a video game that's like a movie i right. think that there are other it's, games like like i would even maybe you know say uncharted even though i like that game a lot and that game series a lot it's maybe like trying and i'd also say the last of us or is like trying so much to be a movie that it sometimes forgets that it also wants to be a video game yeah, like what, what kojima does differently is is that he knows that gameplay is necessary to advance yeah. the story. I feel like you can, you know, he, he'll throw an hour-long cutscene, and then all of a sudden he'll make you, like, you know, uh, use some crazy, like, he'll make some missile maze where you right. got to, like, send a missile yeah. around right. the corner. And it's also, like, you know, it's, you like... you got to spy and, and, and use, like, a sound device. Like, there's, there's also, like, it's, like long treatises about like nuclear proliferation that are followed by like you need to press the square key yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I love that about how like so what you're gonna want to do to save your game data <laughs> you like castlevania don't you yeah. yeah i actually haven't seen the castlevania cartoon yet. I, I i'm gonna watch it um but I don't know why I'm going to watch it. But but Evan, it's really good. It's actually really a uh, good like it it kept. It's like a original story. It's kind of like a prequel to Castlevania three. But like mm. for a four episode anime, it's pretty dope. Like the animation it, is even good. It's kind of like Game of Thrones or something, right? Like it's kind of trying to be like oh really that kind of you know. Am I wrong about that, Leslie? No, it's not, it's not really Game of Thrones ish. I, it's like just it's pre fairly like mainline anime, but it's applied to like uh, Castlevania, which is set in you know not quite medieval times, but you know pre Renaissance times, feudal times. I think that's the only reason that anybody would compare it to that because they're fucking lazy and think well, everything. Now would blame the Kotaku article that I saw making that comparison. So you should always blame. Never read Kotaku. Never read Polygon. They're both bad. 
uh, Gamergate was totally 100% right about everything. There's another cut point. We love Monopolis here. But uh, going back to Metal Gear Solid 1, like, I'm interested in what you thought, but I played Metal Gear Solid a ton when it first came out. And, but like, when I went back, to, I, I'm replaying through the series too. And when I went back to Metal Gear Solid 1, I was kind of shocked by like how good it still looks. Like, I play a lot of old games, emulations, and stuff like that. But like, and sometimes it's a real struggle to get through them because they don't really look good. Yeah, especially when you go from the 2D to 3D era, like the stuff yeah. in between is like can be really bad. But like Metal Gear Solid, PS One, I feel like is a, is like especially PS One can be some of like the ugliest games ever. Um, yeah, like but, but in, filter. Oof. Yeah, yeah, but MGS One, like it really, really looks good and plays excellent. Like like the yeah. gameplay is so tight and so perfect. Like. A lot of games that come out now do not feel as good to play or has as good controls. As someone who's not a gamer, what did you think starting with that game? That's you know how what fifteen? Yeah, I was I was very impressed by the visual element of it because I think what it was is, and this is something that can apply to movies or anything is, it had visual style and visual you know like thought put into it. If maybe the graphics weren't you know, there yet. And, you know, it kind of, like, in some ways, too, it's like the, you know, in your imagination, you fill it out more. Uh, so, like, you know, it was honestly a big jump when I played two, and the graphics are much, much better. And then it's like, oh, like, you know, this is really what Snake looks like. It's like, you see it much more clearly. Yeah. But in my mind, you know, it's, like, visually done in, like, an engaging enough way, and the game plays well enough that, honestly, like, it did not... I thought that would be like a big hurdle for me. I thought I wouldn't be able to get into it, but it, uh, I, in some ways I almost liked, you know, the style of it. I have a fun for it. I, I think what he did so well with that one, and I guess what, you know, the whole team did is that it just feels so visually consistent. It doesn't feel like it's like trying to be more than the PlayStation can handle. It just feels like it's like, utilizing every single pixel as well as you can utilize well, it. Well, yeah, you know? play, play Final Fantasy VII again, and all those fucking characters look like Legos. Yeah. It's so weird because as a kid, that game was up there with, like, one of the most emotionally powerful things I'd ever experienced. Yeah. And I put it on again, and, it, I mean, it looks Cloud similar. looks like a troll. Now, like, I will say that I do, I do have, like, a real affinity. Like, I still like those characters and well, everything like that. But, but I don't know. I, I, Advent I, Children stuck. I will fight anybody who liked that. Um, I I never played Advent Children <laughs> actually. I, I might play the new the remake Final Fantasy VII. Um, yeah, I'll play that. Are you kidding me? Of course I'll fucking play it. But yeah, no, I mean it's the same thing though with like you know movies now. Like they can all be like the action sequences can all be done in like previs and all mm. that kind of stuff, and they can like look you know in some ways like really cool. But also, they're kind of nothing. And if you go back and look at an older movie, that maybe you know, like look, if you watch like the original Star Wars, like in some ways, like the you know visual effects are bad, but also like the storytelling and the way that they kind of work around, right? Like the visual effects, like in some ways, it's makes it like better. Like now, it's like. How um, do how do we save the the mid budget comedy? How do we 
you know, how as things get more and more guided towards either cinematic universes or big budget, you know, Oscar award bait, how do we save movies that are, you know, not designed for like snooty elites or just, you know, designed to sell toys? Like, how do you take small stories and make them profitable again when the industry is pushing so hard against it? Yeah, I don't know the answer as I've been thinking. I mean, like Leslie said, like, you know, like television, like in those kind of, for whatever reason, that I don't know why people seem happier to like do like six episodes of a prestige miniseries more so than like one two hour movie, but I don't know. It seems like kind of, and I don't know. Is a story is it important to uh, maintain like two hour or an hour and a half comedy like full movies versus like television shows? Mm -hmm. Is it important that? Like that form exists, and I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, it's weird um, because I feel like those are the things that like shape a huge part of who I am today. So maybe they should go. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Brett Easton Ellis, he's yeah. a, a writer of American Psycho. Yeah. His podcast ended up mostly being about film at first, and now he's on like season three, and he's like, you know what? Film is basically dead. Like no one talk, no one he knows in his circles talks about films anymore. It's all TV shows, and now there's just so many goddamn TV shows that you can't even have a conversation with anybody else because no one has seen the same TV shows because there's just so many uh, happening yeah. going on. So it's like, yeah, uh, like there was a minute right where it was like, all right, everybody was watching. You know the Sopranos and Breaking Bad, but now it's like the OA. Like my what, what, yeah, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is crazy. Like you can like talk to someone. It's like what television shows are you watching? And then like they can say seven shows, and you'd be like, I've never even heard of those shows. <laughs> and they're like, What are you watching? And you can name ten shows, and they maybe haven't even like seen any of them. Yeah. Well, and that's, that actually gives me a little bit of hope for movies because I almost feel like it's like if you're writing a feature, you're driving against traffic. Like you actually you have less competition now as a feature screenwriter than ever before in a twisted way because it's a, it's I a think that they still TV. have plenty of competition. <laughs> nah, it's easy. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Our generation is doomed. We'll never retire. But uh, yeah, what are the things would you guys say that are like culturally like unifying that like everyone i mean it just video is like games. So, i mean yeah, video, video games do a better job than hollywood right now for sure and it's I mean, like it a is, fucked up thing i well, guess it, i feel like i'm in the wrong industry sometimes saying that it, it is weird that like yeah video games are like more people from all different types of walk walks of life will like play one video game and mm -hmm. like be able to talk about a video game. Mm -hmm. Video games, um, and we're going to cover this on a future episode, are uh, the world's greatest art form. <laughs> it's hard to disagree, honestly, right now. I'm Gaming is good. <laughs> <laughs> but even, I wonder, what is, like, I mean, there's still large portions of the population that don't, like, play video games. Uh -huh. Like, I like yeah, over a certain... They're all, old. they're all old, though. Yeah, well, right. Well, exactly. Yeah. But is it possible? Yeah, no. But I was having the same argument with my girlfriend because she said there is not one single person on this earth who has never watched a movie or TV show, which I don't know if that's true, versus how many people play video games. Oh, I mean, how many people on earth have never played a video game of any kind? I don't know. I mean, you know, like even like Pac-Man or something. That's I feel like I mean, a lot. They, of they have Atari in North Korea, I'm guessing. Like, 
they must have like we're now past the point where like everyone who plays like the people the, the generation that grew up the first generation that grew up playing games they're deep in their 30s and 40s now like it it's not really a thing for kids like it was kind of sold forever maybe movies will just uh, die out as people you know stop leaving the house altogether <laughs> I, I think that these things might be correlating is like Millennials don't fuck. People don't leave the house. I, and... I fuck all the time. I'm always <laughs> fucking. Uh, uh, speaking of your girlfriend. Speaking of <laughs> I have a girlfriend. Um, well, what else? I mean, I feel like we're like getting close. Let's wrapping up here. Yeah, I think. I think do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no. Do we want to do plugs? Do I, don't, we want, I, don't I don't think it's like kind of weird to do plugs. Or uh -huh. if you want to just like. No, I just want you know the uncomfortable stuff to be cut out. Anything aggressively against the system you want to say? Oh, aggressive. Is that is that what is the ethos of this podcast? Like, what is the Leslie? I'm gonna let you take this one. Yes, take. All right, so basically, um, it's a podcast of addressing, you know, pop culture from, you know, a fan's perspective, but also with a leftist critique of it. Like we under, like um, we like all, we like Star Wars, but we hate Disney, right? Mm -hmm. we, we like um, video games, but we hate the corporations that uh, are in con complete control of the industry. So basically, and but we don't like the sort of liberal, neoliberal style of critiquing like individual movies and things yeah. as just being problematic, right? We want to look at like the bigger picture of it. Like we we understand that we exist in a capitalistic society, which is patriarchal, sexist, transphobic, homophobic, et cetera, et cetera. And all the culture that we consume will have these elements in it but just because we may enjoy something that's problematic, that doesn't mean we're bad people and we don't have to feel bad about it. We just have to struggle with the problematic elements of the culture we love. And yeah. that's why it's a struggle it's session. It's a struggle session. I don't agree with any of that. I don't know why. <laughs> that was beautifully said. I love that. That should have been at the beginning. I should have known that. that well, you should have sure we should have done. Yeah. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. Look, I know you hate going to the post office. You hate going to anywhere that's public service workers. It's pathetic. You feel like a loser. I mean, ideally, all of our public institutions could be destroyed and they could all be privatized and you'd never have to go to the post office again. So that's why there's Stamps.com. Hopefully, every we'll have DMV.com, we'll have trash. Uh, servicepickup.com everything will be every public institution will be destroyed and under the stamps.com umbrella sign up for stamps.com and get a free scale <laughs> like what you hear want to hear more check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes commercial free as well as hundreds of bonus episodes Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.